Welcome to Kavanaugh. Will you guys stand with us and let's sing that greater is he than he is in me than he that is in the world.
Amen, amen. Good morning. You may have a seat. Welcome to Kavanaugh. How we doing? Who's here today? Who's glad to be here today? All right, amen. That's what I'm talking about. Did you love that song? All right, give our band and praise team a hand again. I love that song. That's one of my favorites, so I'm fired up. How about you? Ready to worship? All right, I'll be quick, but i got to share this. This morning I was doing my daily reading, and I'm in Chronicles. So you never know what you're going to get in Chronicles. It's really interesting. And this morning my reading was about Josiah. He became king when he was eight years old. Now Jude's nine, so that's really scary to me, okay? (laughs) So they must have been in a pretty desperate situation if their king was eight years old. But through the counsel of, of the priests, he learned to call upon the Lord. And so he cleaned out the temple. The temple was a mess. People had forsaken God. They had lost the law. They were no longer gathering for worship. He reinstated all that. They found the word. And he gathered all the people, and they read the word. And there was great repentance. And God heard their prayers. And he brought a cleansing of their sins. And so guess what? For the rest of his lifetime, the people worshiped the Lord. It's important to be here today. It's important to come to God's house. It's important to prepare for worship. So today, what we're doing is very important. We're glad you're here. Uh, We're going to worship our Lord, and we are going to give him the praise that he deserves. Are you ready to do that? Amen. Let's pray, and then we're going to continue praising our Savior. God, we love you. Thank you for the amazing gift of salvation. Thank you for the privilege to worship you today. May we be prepared Uh, to hear from you. Lord, as we sing, uh, may we think about who we're singing to. And as Brother Will preaches, would you speak into our hearts with your Holy Spirit and change lives as only you can. We love you, God, and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
if we could just tap into that power, right? And live Amen. victorious Christian's life, Christian lives. Dr. Tony Evans, who is a pastor at Oak Cliff Church in Dallas, Texas, says, there is nothing that God does not know. Listen to that again. There is nothing that God does not know. There is no place where he does not exist. That's his omnipresence. That's not all. There is nothing that God cannot do. There is nothing that God cannot do. Amen. That is his omnipotence. God knows you. God knew exactly who would be present in this service today. And he knew exactly what need is on your heart. Only God, only God can do that. Let us allow his presence to have the freedom to speak into our lives today and to change us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here.
of you who are uh, in person today and then those are watching online thank you for being here got a good word for you today from first corinthians chapter 13 in our series on the holy spirit the way of the spirit which is the way of love there were three guys who uh were buddies they were out in the woods together camping and and they kind of got lost and they came right up to this raging river and they realized there was no way they could cross the river without some kind of help. So the first guy just, he bowed his head and he prayed, Dear God, give me the strength to make it across this raging river. And poof, God gave him strong arms and strong legs. And he swam all the way across the river. Took him two hours. The second guy, having saw this, prayed, Lord, I just ask that you give me the strength and the tools to make it across this raging river. And poof, God gave him a rowboat. And so he was able to row across the river. It took him 30 minutes. The third guy, having seen all of this, prayed, Lord, please give me the strength, the tools, and the intelligence to get across this raging river. And poof, God made him a woman. <laughs> Turned him into a woman. And she looked at a map 
walked five minutes upstream and crossed by way of a bridge. You got to love it, don't you? Come on, ladies. Don't you love that? We got to keep this same, same lady motif. This, this one lady died, went to heaven, and she was met at the pearly gates by St. Peter. And uh, he said, would you like to come into heaven? She said, well, sure, I'd, I'd love to be in heaven. He said, okay, all you have to do is spell a word correctly. She said, well, what word is that? He said, it doesn't matter, just pick a word and spell it. She said, well, my favorite word is love, L-O-V-E. He said, come on in, you've made it in. And she walked across the pearly gates. He said, you know, I need to run an errand and go talk to the Lord. Do you mind manning my post and standing here at the pearly gates and, and just use the same protocol if, if somebody else comes up that I just used with you? She said, sure, no problem. And she hadn't been there but a second, and all of a sudden her ex-husband was standing in front of her. And she said, well, what are you doing here? And he said, I, I just died of a heart attack. Am I in heaven? She says, well, not yet. He said, well, what do I have to do? She said, you have to spell a word correctly. He said, what word is that? She thought for a second and then said, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> You've got to love that too, don't you? Because you know what? It's all about love, and that's what we've been studying in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So turn in your Bibles to that passage, 1 Corinthians 13. Paul was writing to a church that was divided over spiritual gifts. Some of the people thought that they were better than others in the church because of the spiritual gift that God had given to them. But in the last words of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, I am going to show you a better way, a more excellent way. And that way, of course, is the way of love. In fact, without true Christian love, all of these spiritual gifts really doesn't do the church much good at all if they are not done out of a heart of love. But this message is, is not just for church life. You see, if this kind of love described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 was really expressed and experienced in every family, there would be a dramatic drop in divorce, in child abuse, and in dysfunctional families. And if everyone who is a born-again believer exercised this kind of love in our world today, there would be a phenomenal revival across our land as we share God's love with others. So as we move through verses 4 through 8 in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want, to imagine, I want you to imagine what the Holy Spirit of God is doing here. With every word that describes love, the Holy Spirit is painting a picture. With every word that we use to describe God's love is another brush from his, or stroke from his brush as he paints for us a portrait of what true love really looks like. And all of the words that are used to describe love are verbs. You see, the kind of love that God is describing here is not just a feeling, it is active. It is righteous involvement in the lives of other people. And as we looked at this last week, we noted that there are seven positive aspects of love. He says, this is what love is like, and he paints that portrait. But right in the middle of those seven positives are eight negatives. 
And by that, he is saying, this is what love is not like. And so let's look at those eight negatives today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to read verses 4 through 8. Are you guys with me? How about you online? Are you with me? Give me a thumbs up. Oh, I see that. Thank you. Verse 4, love suffers long, positive. Love is kind, positive. Now here are the negatives. This is what love is not. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. It's not easily provoked. Love thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity or in evil, but, and here goes the positives again, it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Holy Spirit, I pray right now as I try to speak on the outside that you would speak to our hearts. Uh, Lord, show us the way of love today. And as we describe what love is not, I pray, dear Lord, that we would realize true love is all about you, and I pray that we would be a reflection of you. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So we have eight points this morning of what love is not. Number one is this, love does not envy. I'm reading out of the New King James translation, and that's the word they use to describe what love is not. Love does not Envy. Other translations of the Bible render it this way. Love is not jealous. But you and I have a problem with that word because when we think of jealousy, we think of jealousy of one being possessive of someone else's affections. And so because of that, we are told that if we really love somebody, we are not going to be possessive. But you know what? The fact is when you really love someone... You don't want them sharing their affections with somebody else. I, mean, I, 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 love, I love Angie. She's, she's my lady. She's my wife. I don't want her sharing the love she has for me with somebody else. Point blank. Are you with me? So th- that's not a good description of what this verb is really about when we look at it in that regard of that definition of jealousy because you know what our god is a jealous god god doesn't want you sharing the affection you should have for him with anything or anyone else the bible tells us that look at exodus chapter 34 verse 14 do not worship any other god for the lord whose name is what Jealous with a capital J. He is a jealous God. And over and over in the Old Testament, we have this reoccurring theme from God. Do not commit spiritual adultery with some other God. Because I am a jealous God. So the New King James doesn't use the word jealous because we don't understand it correctly. They use the word envy to describe what love is not. It essentially means to covet something that somebody else possesses. That's what envy means, to covet something that somebody else has. Now, you can see where jealousy would fit into that. One of the hardest battles a Christian must fight is against this kind of envy or this kind of jealousy. 
You know why? Because there's always somebody who can do something better than you. Now, I'm going to have to get on to you. First service was much more responsive than you guys are, so y'all need to wake up a little bit, all right? You know that's true, don't you? No matter what it is that you like to do or you're good at, somebody, you're going to, sooner or later, you're going to come across somebody who's better at it than you are. Amen? And the first reaction of the flesh is to wish that person ill. I go to these cowboy matches. Cowpoke knows what I'm talking about. I go to these cowboy matches. As soon as I get there, I look across the other competitors. I see who's there. And we know each other. I, know I can beat that guy. I can beat that guy. I can beat, uh, that guy can beat me if he has a good day. You know, I hope he has a miss or two today. That's the flesh. Are you with me? Because it is much easier to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. Huh? When love sees someone who is popular, successful, beautiful, or talented, you know what? It doesn't envy them. It is glad for them. It's never jealous or envious. You see, the love that we're studying here is love that is satisfied in giving more than it is in getting in return. Rather than resenting when others are blessed, this kind of love rejoices when others are blessed. And if you want a picture of this kind of love in the Bible, go to the Old Testament and read about the relationship that David had with Jonathan. Okay, Jonathan was the king's son. Jonathan's father was Saul, but God rejected Saul, and because of that, God was going to make David the next king. David was a better warrior than Jonathan. He was better looking than Jonathan, and he was going to get the throne that Jonathan would have inherited. But not one single time do we read in the Word of God that Jonathan was envious or jealous over David. In fact, the exact opposite occurs. He respected David and loved David and only had good things to say about David. That's what this love is all about. Love does not envy. You got it? Well, let's go on to number two. Love does not parade itself. In other words, it doesn't boast or brag. The picture here is of somebody who is a self-promoter. Do you have anybody like that in your life? When you're talking to them, all they can talk about is themselves. Me, my, I just reoccurs. Someone who is always talking about me, myself, I, their success, their possessions, their achievements, their promotions. You got people like that in your life? Don't they drive you crazy? Let's <laughs> be honest. You know, it reminds me of this story about Muhammad Ali, he was one of the greatest boxers to ever live, great athlete. But you know what? Ali was full of himself. He, he was quite prideful and boastful. One day he was on an airplane, and the stewardess walked by and noticed he didn't have his seatbelt fastened. She said, sir, you're going to have to buckle your seatbelt, to which he replied, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She was a quick-thinking woman. She said, yeah, and Superman don't need no airplane. Buckle up, buddy. <laughs> Come on. You can laugh. That's awesome, man. Maybe some of the Corinthians were, were boasting about their spiritual gift, thinking it was better than others had. And if that was the case, they failed to remember the word that Paul used to describe these spiritual gifts. It's the Greek word charisma. It actually means a grace gift. 
And let me tell you something, friend. Everything that you have that is good and worthwhile and of benefit is a gift from God. Everything about you that is good is God's grace on you. Therefore, you have nothing in and of yourself to be boastful about or prideful about. Are you with me? Yet pride blinds us to these things. That's why he mentioned number three. Love is not puffed up or proud. Uh, there's nothing that is more anti-God than pride. In the original language, the, the word that is used here literally is translated puffed up. And that's what pride does to us, doesn't it? It puffs us up, makes our head big. Huh? Are you with me? It makes us think that we are better than others. In fact, the middle letter of the word pride is the letter I. And nothing could be further from the Spirit of Christ than pride. Jesus demonstrated God's grace to us through his humility, not through pride. And when we are proud, we have an inflated view of our own importance. It was Augustine, the great church historian and, and author who said pride is the root sin. And by that he meant it is the root from which every other sin grows. Because pride is the very first sin that was ever committed. And it didn't happen on earth, it happened in heaven. When Satan became proud and boastful and wanted to occupy the throne of God. Pride is infatuation with our own image, our own importance, and our own reputation. I, I remember reading the story of something that happened to Gail MacDonald. Uh, she is the uh, wife of the, uh, the author and pastor Donald, uh, Gordon MacDonald. And the story occurred when her 16-year-old boy was ready to go get his driver's license. Just turned 16, and she was going to take him down to the bureau to take his, his test and his driving test. And, and it just so happened that that morning, the only vehicle that was left at the house was their old work truck. It was, a, it was an old two-door pickup that had bucket seats in it. And so Gail and her son went to the bureau, and, and she was shocked to find out that for him to take the driving part of his test, a parent had to be in the vehicle and the police officer had to be in the front seat. Are you imagining this? We're talking about an old two-door pickup with bucket seats. And Gail was dressed in a dress with heels. She said, what, what was I to do? Well, you know, here's what she did. She said, I assumed the position. <laughs> I climbed into the back of the pickup and I sat down in the bed. I did what I had to do. And then later on, remembering this, she said, that's just what love does. I'm not too important to do something that is undignified to help somebody that I love. And you don't. When you love somebody, your pride just kind of melts. And you do whatever you have to do to help them. The image I have in my mind is that father of the prodigal son. Remember, the prodigal son went and wasted all his inheritance and in wild living in the far country. The father was waiting for him every day. Finally, one day, sitting on the front porch, he saw his boy coming home. 
And throwing caution to the wind, the father ran out to meet him. Old Jewish men didn't do that. They didn't run. But this father ran to meet his son. His pride had melted, and he only wanted his son. Well, those are the three that we read in verse 4. Let's look at verse number 5. Verse number 5 records some of these other things. Love is not. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. We're doing good, aren't we? You with me? So let's talk about those just for a second. Number 4, love does not behave rudely. In the New King James, it says it does not act unbecomingly. And what the word literally means is to disrespect someone. And you know that, that rudeness is a basic act of disrespect. We aren't rude to people we respect. I mean, if you really respect someone, you would never dare be rude to them. Rudeness is a crude insensitivity to the feelings of other people. So if there's somebody you really respect, you would never even think of being rude to them. Right? I mean, think of somebody you really respect. I told the story of the first service. Back in June, we went to Randall University to do some work. And one of the days everybody else was working, I made my way over to Dr. Marbury's office. Dr. Thomas Marbury, he's a, he's a professor of theology at Randall University. He was my professor for all Greek, for church history, for hermeneutics, for, for preaching. He, he, was, he was the main guy there. That the, he's the smartest free will Baptist I know, period. He really is. He's forgotten more of the Bible than I'll ever know. And so I made my way to Dr. Marbury's office, and I, Jason, I sat down across from him. We just started talking, and, and I was about to preach from... 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, this, this hard passage. And so I picked his brain. And man, we talked for almost an hour. And, and I, I was just, I got emotional because this guy's about to retire. And I'm thinking, we're about to lose the smartest man that we have in our denomination that pours into young people the, the knowledge of the Word of God. And man, I tell you, I have so much respect for Dr. Mulberry. I really do. I respect the man. I would never, ever be rude to him because I respect him. This is just my opinion, so I'll kind of step away from the, from the sacred desk here. You know what I think is wrong in America today? We've lost respect for people. Honestly, we've lost respect. Kids don't respect teachers. They don't respect their parents. Adults don't respect authority. We don't respect one another. And our society is crumbling, it's falling apart because we're rude to each other. And if you don't respect people and you're rude to them, there, there is no basis for relationships there. Wow. Also, to the first service uh, years ago, we were having a national convention in some city, and, and I was there at a restaurant eating a meal, and I got to talking to the waitress, and, and she said, are you part of that group that's here, that convention that's here? And, I said, yeah. She said, I'll tell you what, y'all are some of the rudest people I've ever met in my life. I said, really, th th these people are rude and they don't, they're, they're stingy and they don't tip. And I said, well, ma'am, I'm, I'm, so, <laughs> I'm sorry. What an indictment against Christians. We just behave rudely. Can I tell you, that's not the way of love. 
And it's not the way of Jesus Christ. Number five, love is not self-seeking. I understand there's an inscription on a tombstone in an English village that reads, Here lies a miser who lived for himself and cared for nothing but gathering wealth. Now where he is or how he fares, nobody knows and nobody cares. Really, this may be the key to understanding everything that Paul is saying in this paragraph of Scripture. When I am not seeking my own, it means that I don't always have to have it my way. You know people like that. My way or the highway. My rights. You see, the root evil of human fallen nature is in wanting to have everything my way. Linsky, the great Bible commentator, said, Cure selfishness, and you have just replanted the Garden of Eden. <laughs> but Paul has already chastised the Corinthians for this. And I would have to tell you that, that really when you step back and look at it, most of the conflict that you find in churches or in homes or in anywhere else that you look is wrapped up in people wanting it their way. To be self-seeking means that I put my agenda, my needs first. You know what I'm sick of hearing? My rights. Can I tell you something? When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you give up the rights to your life. And you love God and you love people no matter what. Number six... Love is not easily angered. <laughs> oh, boy. Some translations say it's not provoked. The word literally means to be easily provoked to the point where you wish someone harm or you are willing to do harm to them. You're so angry, you want to rip their heads off. Love guards against being irritated or upset or angered by the things that are said or done to you. Again, just think of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. How often have you provoked the Lord from your own disobedience? But God has suffered long with us. Now, he is a righteous judge, and he has the right to condemn us over one single sin that we have committed against him. But God is slow to wrath. Our God is long-suffering towards us. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that God doesn't get as angry with me as I get with other people. A few weeks ago, I went into this place of business here in town. I'm not going to tell you what place of business it was, but I tell you what, I left there so mad, I was mad as a little red hen. They, they treated me with disrespect. They, they cheated me. I mean, it was just, it was, it was a horrible experience. And I walked out of there thinking, I am never coming back into this place again. And I went home, and I was fuming. I was, I was mad. Angie heard me. Zane even heard me. I was gripping and complaining. I was thinking, you know what? I need to go and just give those people a piece of my mind, and blah, 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 blah. And Angie, the voice of reason, said, well, honey... If you think that is the right thing to do, you just march yourself right back down there and you tell them what you think if you think that's the right thing to do. I said, no, I can't do that because I'd, I'd go in there and I'd, I'd tell them what I'm thinking and then they'd show up at church next Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, and I'd have to eat crow, right? And so then she said to me, well, baby, you just need to get over it. Can I tell you something? We, do, we need to get over it because love is not easily angered. Well, let's move on, shall we? Number seven, love keeps no record of wrongs. It thinks no evil. This is a colorful word that comes to us from the world of accounting. It, it describes a merchant entering something into a ledger book so that they wouldn't forget it. That's what your checkbook is. It is a ledger. So when you write a check, you write that down. When you make a deposit, you write it down. Why? So that you don't forget, right? Now, that is good in personal finances, but it is dangerous in personal relationships. When you write it down in your ledger book so that you don't forget what they've done to you or what they've said to you. It's really easy for us when we have been wronged or hurt by someone to enter that into our own heart's ledger book. Why? So that we can use it against them. I had someone after the first service come to me, me and say, Preacher, you want, might want to emphasize this just a little more in the service. He said, you started off talking good about these ladies, but let me tell you, when, when I say something nice to my wife, she'll forget it a minute later. But if I ever say something tacky or wrong, she remembers it four years later. <laughs> Love doesn't do that. Love keeps no record of wrong. Why is love that way? Again, it's the way the Lord is. Look at Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, kept record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. Now, here's the deal. We don't wink at sin. God doesn't wink at sin. Sin has to be judged. And when we sin... That is against us. It's held against us. It's on God's ledger book. You are a sinner. And here are the things that you have done. And it is that sin that's going to condemn us to hellfire. But when we come to God seeking forgiveness, when we come humbly before God and say, Lord, forgive me a sinner, God is going to forgive us. He's not going to hold it against us any longer. He's going to cast that sin into the sea of forgetfulness, never to remember it again. He washes it away. Dude, that's awesome. So let me tell you, if God can do that to you for your sin, if God can forgive you and not hold it against you any longer, shouldn't you be able to do that with other people? Wow. Then number eight, love does not rejoice in evil. It does not delight in wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. You see, when, when you really love someone, you cannot take delight in any evil that might befall that person, either by the things that are done to them or the things that they do or even something that just bad that happens to them. But oh, how tempting it is to gloat when someone who has hurt or offended us has something bad happen to them. And I think that is just one of the more subtle sins that can creep into our life. But you know what? We don't rejoice in any kind of evil because it is against the word 
of God. Now, I ask you at the beginning of, of our lesson today to take every word that the Holy Spirit uses here to describe love and think of it as the brush strokes of the Holy Spirit, as he's painting a picture of love. And so all 15 of these words, the seven positive things that love is like and the eight negative things that this is not what love is like, you put all of those together, you have 15 verbs describing love. And the Holy Spirit is painting a portrait with each one of these words. When you have the full portrait painted, you look at it and you know what you see? You see, Jesus, he has just painted the picture of Jesus. These verbs describe Jesus. And what Paul is saying is this, you need to be like Jesus. You need to think like Jesus. You need to respond like Jesus. You need to act like Jesus. You need to look like Jesus. But here's what I know. I got Jason here and I got Jason here. Jason's. Here's what I know about Will. I can't do that on my own. There's no way. As hard as I try, I fall short. If this is the standard, I'm way down here. I can't do it. I can't love this way. It's not in my nature. But when I trust Jesus as my Savior, that nature changes. And I receive the nature of God. So you know what? Now I can love that way. And when I'm not loving that way, Miss Gail, it's not Jesus inside of me. It's that old sinful nature of will rising up inside of me. And i got to kick him down because i got to be like Jesus. If you're here this morning in person or you're watching online and you know, Preacher, I just don't have that kind of love in my life. Well, it's because you don't have Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. So I encourage you, I invite you to invite Jesus into your life today. It's as simple as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. You are. B, believe that only Jesus can save you, and he's the only one who can. And C, confess him as Lord of your life. Would you do that today? And then if you're here and you are a believer, let's work on these 15 aspects of love. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless us today. Thank you for your word and the Holy Spirit who has spoken it. I pray, dear Lord, that everyone under the sound of my voice has received Jesus as their Savior. If they haven't, I pray, dear Lord, that today they would do that. Lord, for the rest of us, may, may we love like Jesus loves. May we respond to other people as Jesus has responded to us. Dear Lord, make us people of love and make our church a church of love. We ask all of this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So I encourage you to go home, or if you're already home, take your Bible out this week, study these 15 verbs, and let's go to work on them, all right? Let's become people of love. Uh, some of you are already putting your mask back on. Thank you for doing that. Wear your mask as you exit the building. When you walk out the door, drop your offering into one of those boxes. Tonight, tune in. Facebook Live, 6 o'clock, uh, Brother Johnny's Kids Church. And I understand Miss Billy, little Billy, has taught her best lesson. It's going to be in this service tonight. Is that right, Brother Johnny? It is the best lesson little Billy's ever taught. So you need to tune in for that. But listen, tune in no matter who you are because Brother Johnny has an earth-shaking announcement that he's going to make tonight. 
6 o'clock. Then at 6 o'clock on Instagram Live, Brother Nathan's going to have a uh, lesson for our teenagers. At 6.30, Facebook Live, adult Sunday school class. The lesson is going to be taught by Jerry Franklin. It's going to be awesome. Wednesday night, we're going to be Facebook Live only. Brother Johnny is going to be preaching. Next Sunday, at this service, 1030 service only, we're going to be honoring our graduates who graduated back in May. We're finally going to get to honor them. We have 21 high school and college graduates. Uh, Make sure you're here next Sunday to celebrate with us as we honor these awesome young people. Uh, Remember, it's our turn campaign. Uh, wear your, your little wristband proudly, and at 1.30 every day, pray for our church, pray for the campaign, pray for our building that is being built. Remember, the staff loves you, I love you, but most of all, God loves you. Amen? So go share that love. You're dismissed. 